the last time I got to be here was the beginning of summer. You may or may not remember. I, I might have mentioned as a teacher, that's my favorite season of the year. Um, so now this is basically my last Sunday before uh, students come. And it's been a good summer. And I'm really excited to meet our students. And I'm just hopeful, honestly, I am hopeful that they are even like a little bit excited to meet me on Tuesday and to come back to come back to class um, and to start learning. Because I get to spend time um, teaching the New Testament with them and reading through scripture, answering questions um, that they have. I get to do what I love to do, which is a huge blessing. And I get to do a school that we have an opportunity um, to share our faith with students who, who don't know Jesus. And we get an opportunity to talk about how to grow in our faith with students who uh, have questions or are curious or maybe want to go deeper too. And it really is genuinely one of my favorite, favorite things that I get to do on a regular basis. Because some of what we read in Scripture, right, as we've been, we've been reading through Mark, and we look at the disciples, right, and they got to be with Jesus regularly. And sometimes it seems like they really get it, right? And as a teacher, you, like, you love those moments, or you can kind of see that light bulb go on, and you're like, finally, <laughs> um, mission accomplished. Other times, the disciples, well, actually, most of the time, it seems like the disciples, like, don't quite get it. And most of the time this summer, as we've been going through Mark, what would you say? Have the disciples been getting it or not so much? Right? Not so much. Now, as we get to our passage um, today, right, if you remember from last week, right, Danny talked about another one of those not so much moments where they didn't get it. So we get to our passage today, and it would be easy uh, to think of this as just kind of like an exciting miracle, another one of the cool things that Jesus did. But it's more than that. Because here we have Jesus again performing a miracle that Mark chooses to record because while the disciples weren't getting it, he wants to help make sure us as the future readers of this story Get it. So let's read together. If you have your uh, Bible with you and you want to read, or you can follow along on the screen. We're in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Here he writes, Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples... Together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. 
He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, I like to imagine it was very dramatic. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, if we were reading this passage kind of in isolation, like, like I just did this morning, if that's all where we started and where we ended, um, it would be easy to think that the emphasis or the importance here has to do with the miracle itself or seeing that Jesus is really powerful and he brings sight to the blind and sometimes we sing worship songs that say something along, along those lines um, so it all makes sense, it all fits. But really, like we've already read quite a few miracles by Jesus. And Mark happens to put a lot of those in the very beginning of his gospel. And it shows a little bit about who Jesus is. So why does he choose to repeat some of these types of stories? Right? It just so happens, the last time I was speaking, Jesus also healed a man who was blind. And in that circumstance, part of what we looked at is he was trying to show, right, it was one of those moments the disciples didn't quite get it. And so he was healing a blind man to help show that you need Jesus, you need God to really have true, like, spiritual sight and understanding. And this has kind of kicked off this series of events where, again, the disciples kind of getting it, sometimes not so much. Then we come to this passage, and again, Jesus is healing a blind man, giving him sight, because he's trying to focus us in. Mark wants us to not miss what's been happening in these last few chapters. And right after this, Jesus is going to go up into Jerusalem. And that's where he's going to die. Mark spends like a third of his book about this last week of Jesus' life. And this passage right here is kind of like the concluding transitional moment before we get to the most important, kind of most famous part of this story. So what's been happening since I was last here, which is just a coincidence. All right, three times Jesus has talked about the Son of Man and what's going to happen to him. Now, what does he say? The Son of Man is going to suffer. The Son of Man is going to be handed over to authorities. The Son of Man is going to die and rise again. Anybody remember the first time he says this? Um, what Peter does. How does Peter respond? I'm hoping for a tiny bit louder audience participation, <laughs> if possible. That's okay. If we don't remember, that's all right. Yes, he rebukes him. Peter rebukes Jesus. How did that go for Peter? Right? Not so great. Get behind me, Satan. Okay? Like words I never want to hear from the Lord. So that's time one, right? And this is after, like, Peter recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus gives a little bit of context. Well, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. Peter rebukes him. Doesn't go so well, right? It happens again. Jesus talks about what's going to happen, how he's going to have to be handed over to the authorities, suffer, and die. 
Did the disciples get it time number two? No. Um, but instead, right, they're like, Mark says they were like afraid to ask him, right? I wonder why, right? You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Remember what happened to Peter? Like, no, like we're, like we're, gonna, we're staying out this time, right? We will just hope to figure it out somewhere along the way, right? It's like when my students don't ask questions leading up to a test, you know, hope we figure it out. Maybe there will be a miracle at the end. Time number three. Now, this was just last week. We get two people, um, James and John. How do they reply? What do they uh, talk about after Jesus mentions that he will have to suffer and die? Yeah, they want to know who's the greatest. They want to sit next to Jesus as right and left, right? Kind of these positions of authority and importance, um, which makes sense if they view him as like the messianic king. But instead, Jesus says what? Right? You're not going to be served by others because if you follow me, you are going to be a servant or even a slave to others. And he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right, so Jesus is clarifying, here's what I've meant all three times that I've talked about being handed over. Right? The role and the identity of the Messiah is not just about being a literal, physical king the way that Israel existed in the Old Testament. Right? I have come as a suffering servant who's going to die on people's behalf. And once we get to chapter 11, we, we read all about what happens and how Jesus does that and how he accomplishes that. So right here, in this moment, in, in the passage, in, 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 the, uh, in the book, Mark is trying to focus us in. Because he's like, this is important. And we know it's important because if it took so long for the disciples to get it that Jesus bothered explaining it multiple times and Mark bothered writing it down multiple times, because we can be just like the disciples and that it's kind of slow to learn or understand or figure something out. And so when Mark writes down this story about Jesus healing a blind man and giving him sight, part of what he's saying is do not miss this. He's pleading with us, be more like Bartimaeus in this story <laughs> and not the way the disciples have been up until this point. I do think this passage really highlights the significance in the importance of the words Jesus just spoke. Which Danny talked about last week. But I'll read, I'll read some of it again. Instead, 
Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this idea of ransom, this word Jesus uses, which really only shows up in this context um, once in Mark Jesus is communicating. He's using a word that represents um, how you would purchase the life and the freedom of a slave. He's saying, you all understand at that time, for a slave's life to be freed, there has to be some sort of transaction, there has to be some sort of payment. That would have been something that's pretty familiar. Even if none of them had owned slaves, some of them may have been slaves themselves by the time they read the story, they would have understood what Jesus is saying here. A slave's freedom comes at a cost. It comes at a high price. And that is what my life represents. My life, my death, represents the cost that I will pay for many people. But here he's not talking about physical freedom. He's talking about our spiritual freedom. And as Danny mentioned last week, like when we read the word slave, it can be uncomfortable. Right? It's not something that's fun to think about. It, it's a terrifying and kind of horrific reality in humanity. Yet the Bible chooses to use this word, the authors choose this word, often to distinguish the difference between being slaves to sin and slaves to Christ. And I believe that they chose this word because I think we can all understand, at least to a certain extent, if we slow down, we reflect, and we're honest with ourselves, we can do nothing on our own to escape the consistent bad choices that we will make in our lives. Sin leads to more sin. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we get better or improve our lives, no matter how much we become disciplined, no matter how much we grow, there's always areas that we fall short. And there's always certain things that we're going to struggle with that even if I look back and think, you know what, I'm like, I am doing better. But I'm not perfect. I am doing better, but I still struggle with some of the same things after years and years and years. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would, we would recognize, right, when the Bible talks about sin and the choices that we make that go against what we know is good for us, that go against what we know is good for other people, that go against what God says is what he wants, that we can't help it. 
We can't escape it. We are trapped. And there is no way of escape on our own. And that's why Jesus uses this word to talk about being a ransom. Because we're stuck. We're trapped. There is no way out. We keep digging deeper and deeper holes and getting more and more stuck. And that can be a hard reality to face. That's not something here in Silicon Valley that we are, I think is like particularly uh, normal part of our culture, right? We want to gloss things over. We want to look toward the future. We want to improve. We want to better ourselves. We want to do something about our self-image, um, the way we present ourselves in front of others, whether it's face-to-face or online. And it's hard to think about the tough realities. But if we don't think about the tough realities, it's harder to come to appreciate what Jesus has really done. And this is what Mark doesn't want us to miss. He's saying the disciples expected the Messiah to look one way. They expected him to be this rescuing king. They expected him to do it literally and physically. And for them, it would have been like overthrowing the Romans. I think in our lives, we often hope or expect God to do certain things a certain way, to make our lives better a certain way, to help us a certain way. Sometimes it's even like really good ideas and really spiritual. And it can be easy to think like, God, wouldn't it be great if we just went and did this? Wouldn't it be easier if you worked on my time? I mean, for me it would be. But that's not always how God works. And instead, through these passages... And through this miracle, Mark is emphasizing it's not about our expectations. It's not about what we get out of the experience. It's not about what we get to do. But it all comes down to the one true important reason for why Jesus came. The most important thing he came to do was to die and rise again as a ransom for you and for me for the forgiveness of sins. And so when he does this miracle to give a blind man sight, He's telling us, don't miss this. And we can look at this passage, especially when we compare the way the disciples have kind of been responding in a kind of gray area, confusing, we're missing it some of the time way, and compare and contrast that with Bartimaeus in his life, the way he responds. 
And Mark is kind of presenting him almost like this ideal disciple or ideal follower. And here's what I mean by that. So first, what does he call Jesus? Right? Son of David. It's not the only thing he could have called him. But I think part of what Mark is emphasizing here is recognizing, like, Bartimaeus understands something about Jesus' messianic identity. Right? Could have just been Jesus, could have just been teacher, could have just been Jesus of Nazareth, right? All common names that we hear. But especially in Scripture, son of David doesn't just mean, like, there was a David in your family line. No, he's referring to King David of Israel who God had promised that he would restore his people through a future king like David. So first Bartimaeus sees him and he recognizes Jesus' true identity as the Messiah, as the only one who can save and help him. And he does so despite the fact that he's being rebuked by others, the fact that he's being shouted down. Right? So Jesus calls him. Right? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man responded, Rabbi, I want to see. Right? He recognizes who Jesus is. He recognizes he has a problem. He cannot see. In this story, it's literal physical sight. And he recognizes Jesus is the only one who can save him from this. Jesus is the only one who can heal him. And in the context of what Jesus just said about giving his life as a ransom, about the true, his true messianic identity, I think Mark wants us to draw a clear spiritual parallel. Just as Bartimaeus was blind physically, like we are all blind spiritually because of sin. And we need to recognize who Jesus is. We need to recognize that he is the only one who can do something about this. And we need to ask him to heal us. We need to ask him to forgive us. And then what does Jesus do? Right? He heals him. And he says, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. And what? And followed Jesus along the road. Bartimaeus recognizes that he has something he cannot solve himself. He cannot heal himself of his physical or his spiritual blindness. He recognizes Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one from the line of David who has come to save, who has come to give his life as a ransom for our sins. He asks Jesus to forgive him. He receives that sight. He receives forgiveness. And then he goes and follows him. In the same way, that is what, what Mark wants us to see, is that we have a choice. Just like the disciples, 
We have a choice just like Bartimaeus. We have a choice just like every single person in Scripture, every single one who's ever lived. Who do we believe Jesus is? What do we understand about his identity? And how are we going to respond? And for Mark, this story about Jesus healing a blind man named Bartimaeus is not is more than just a miracle. It's more than just something really cool <laughs> that Jesus is able to do. It's a way to slow us down, to focus us in, and to show us that we are just like Bartimaeus. He also shows us how he wants us to respond and how, what, what, what God really wants and hopes for for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship together. I pray that our passage this morning, that you would impress it upon our hearts and help us to, to respond in a way that draws us closer to you, in a way that brings us a deeper understanding of your truth and your grace and your love and your forgiveness. Amen.